Hello, and welcome to Avon on the Air, bringing you conversation with your favorite authors that's always lively, sometimes provocative, and never afraid to ask the question, what really happens between the covers of an Avon romance? I'm your host, Lucia Macro, and I'm here with Sarah McLean. Welcome. Thank you. I'm so excited to be back. I know. And today we're going to be chatting about um, It Had to Be You by Susan Elizabeth Phillips. Yes. So very excited about that. The one Chicago Stars. It's the first Chicago Stars, it is right? Number one. Number one. And probably the reason why I know anything at all about football. <laughs> this, I learned a lot about books. football in this one too. <laughs> Right along with the heroine, I, who are, also knew nothing about football. Yeah. There's a, a, a scene late in the in the book where she's, you know, I mean, we'll talk a lot about why this heroine is so amazing. And right. I think, like, what I think Susan does with heroines and what Susan did for romance with these books. But there's a scene late in the book where the heroine is playing stupid and she says... Now, what's that line where they all get together in the middle? <laughs> Someone says the line of scrimmage, and I laugh because I had no, no idea. idea. I was like, oh, I learned a new word today. <laughs> so this is this is such a fun book on so many levels, um, and it's one of those wonderful like nineteen mid nineteen nineties books. This is a nineteen ninety four book, yeah, which was such a hype. We've been talking about like what went on, what was in the water in the mid nineties. It was a, some very good water, particularly <laughs> here at Avon, I think. But we were talking about the fact that there's you know Susan's the Chicago Stars happened in nineteen ninety four. Um, Derek Craven, Lisa Clay, right. Derek Craven. Um, Happen right around, around there, that time too. 1995. Um, the Julia Quinn, Julia Quinn started out. Yeah, she started in 1995 with you guys. Rachel Gibson comes in right yeah. here, and it's really st- oh, and Beverly Jenkins, Beverly Jenkins, and Stephanie Lawrence started in the 90s too. I mean, a little later, but yeah. there was definitely like a lot of big authors. It does feel like something was going on in the yeah. world that made romance sing. Yes, right around that. it did. So. And and contemporary romance, especially like for me, there had been you know I'd worked in category romance for a long time, so there had always been the little books with the numbers from Harlequin and Silhouette. But contemporary romance really broke out in the mid '90s, and later we'll be talking about Rachel Gibson and Simply Irresistible, and how that that actually started like a a real contemporary romance slot for Avon, where we published one a month. But it had to be you is really I feel. A turning point and maybe a precursor yeah. to all of that. Well, Susan was already writing. She had some, been writing. She had yes. written some contemporary. She written Fancy Pants. I want to say. Oh was yeah. Before. Um, and the one and now is there the one with Errol Flynn? But he's not Errol Flynn. <laughs> I forget what book that. that I don't was know one of my which favorites. one that is. But the oh gosh. Oh, actually, there's a list here. So so before so yeah, Fancy Pants and First Lady. And Kiss an Angel, all those were the early were the were her earlier ones. So she was sort of writing contemporaries, mm-hmm. but um, yeah, it feels like with with the Chicago Stars, it just became the Susan Elizabeth Phillips show. Yes, right. Yeah, it really. And it still feels like when we talk about contemporary romance, we talk about how Susan changed the game mm-hmm. and then birthed like a genre, a genre, of, yeah. a single title too. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And maybe you could talk a little bit. Lucia, about what that 
what the difference is, why we talk about single title romance. And what I mean by that is like a... The books you know, without a, the numbers. A standalone that <laughs> yeah. is not part of, you know, it's not a Harlequin Presents. It's right. not a... It's interesting. Um, when I worked when I worked at Harlequin, um, which was real... Actually, I really worked at Silhouette Books, which doesn't exist anymore, which was a division of Harlequin. Mm-hmm. And that was the real heyday of what we now call the category romance, which... Mm-hmm. Um, I always say to people who are not, you know, part of the romance world, I say the books with the numbers on them. Yeah, um, they're smaller. They're smaller. They're, they're shorter. By and large, they're shorter. Um, they're very, very, they're usually like fifty-eight to 60,000 words. They were super, super focused on the romance and really fast-paced because you didn't have a lot of, you just didn't have a lot of word count to play with. Yeah. Um, and... What was interesting about those days is those books were not sold in by title or by author. They were sold in by line. So you had things like Harlequin Presents, which would be eight books a month, or Silhouette Desire. They all had these great Mm -hmm. names. There was like Candlelight Ecstasy. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And booksellers and other places that sold books like supermarkets would buy all six or all eight just in what was called a pre-pack. It's way more than people need to know. But what, what it meant was you weren't, you weren't promoting an author. Mm-hmm. Um, you were promoting a concept or a line or a group of books. And the theory was people would come in and just snatch all six or all five or yeah, however I was a monthly yeah, mail you, subscriber. And you could get them every month by mail. That was the other mm-hmm. great thing, too. So before we had all online retailers, you would pay some money and you'd get, like, every yeah. month a box with the and they, books. And I remember I, I I was a Love Swept subscriber. Oh, right. I loved Love so, Swept. And I would get, you know, six books and they would be, like, there would be, like, three billionaire books. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, or they weren't billionaires well, at the time. They were millionaires. millionaires. <laughs> um, there were, like, three millionaire books and, like, maybe a prince from somewhere. Yeah. And there was usually, a like... A cowboy. A cowboy and, a, like, a military guy. Oh, yeah. The and military. that was it. And it was, was the it? perfect... Taste, yes, <laughs> and you could just blaze through. The, but what happened was stars emerged. It was just inevitable that mm-hmm. stars would emerge, and they and there became this hunger for books that were longer and more complex, and that dug deeper into mm-hmm. the plot and had more room for subplot and more room for the emotion. And sometimes I felt the line was a little blurred between what we now call single title and some of the category romances, which did ultimately, some of them actually did become longer and had room for all of that. But I think some of it was just became that shift in focus where you started selling on the author. The author became the star, not not the brand. Right. And the thing about these books, the thing about Susan's Chicago Stars books, and, you know, I'm sure we'll talk about her other, the other books that, mm-hmm. you know, I love of hers, too. Um, but they really are so comp- complex. Oh, my gosh. They're so complicated. The characters are, so there's, you know, your hero and your heroine, and they have really rich, like, thoughtful backstories mm-hmm. and damage, you know, that they need to mm-hmm. overcome. But then she does families so well. Yeah. She does groups of friends so well. There's so many other pieces of the puzzle. Mm-hmm. Um, Teammates in here. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, I, I can't, I don't know. It, it's such a genius idea to work with a sports team, right? Yeah, because they've got all these men. Constantly. And we should sort <laughs> of say of undress. Match Me If You Can, which is her newest book, yes. um, which is coming out. I don't Soon. know. Soon. We can we'll find the date. Stay tuned. 
um, August is coming out. And, I mean, it's also a Chicago I Stars know. book. She's returning to the Stars. I know. So, and she, I don't think she's written a Stars book in a while. Not in a long so time. So this is a big deal. So, it's yeah. fans. But there's, you know, an, a never-ending supply of quarterbacks. Well, that's too. true. <laughs> if you're They writing. retire. They come back in. It's <laughs> they been get 20 injured, years. They, then they coach. I figure, I figure the hero, the, I figure the hero of it had to be you. I mean, I just figure, like, Dan is probably um, a sports commentator on ESPN. Exactly. And now it's and been so super long. dreamy. It's super, still, super, still super dreamy. Still super dreamy. So, uh, but let's talk about the heroine because yes. so um, Phoebe Somerville is the heroine of this book. She is remarkable in lots of ways. Mm-hmm. She was the so her father owned, owned. or. Yeah, owned the Chicago Stars right. football team. And she was always his greatest disappointment. Right. Because she felt he she was never interested in football. She wanted to be an artist. She ended up in Manhattan. She posed new Oh gosh, that's right. For a like scandalous like basically Picasso. Famous yes. And and then it's like on the walls of like exactly. museums, places. I mean, she's a celebrity, mo- like she's a model, right? Um, you know, and then as part of the as part of the story of this book, she has posed for some you know artful, tasteful nudes for right. a magazine. Um, she's the opposite right. of a guy who owns a football, a football team. team. And when he dies, he uh, he bequeaths the team to her, but sort of in a stick it to you kind of way. Well, he does it for a year, right? Yeah. And then she's got to make it. Um, it has to win the. Like they got to get financially successful and they have to win. They have to get to the Super Bowl. Yes. Essentially. The division and or whatever they, it is. If they get to the Super Bowl, then she gets to keep the team. Right. And if they don't, then the team is given to a pretty horrible, horrible cousin. cousin. It's a cousin. Like yeah. This kind of slimy cousin. <laughs> a really gross, horrible cousin. Right. Who ends up, Susan then makes him even, you know, he starts off just being gross and slimy, and then he ends up by the end just being truly villainous. Yeah. And, I mean, but the thing about her, so she's beautiful. That's her whole She's, like, life. super beautiful. Like, bodaciously beautiful. Yeah. And knows that by being beautiful, by playing up to being beautiful, she can sort of trick you into underestimating her. her. People think she's stupid. Oh, and it's, it's so, so interesting. glorious, right? Because what we've done in romance for, what, it's 1994, mm-hmm. so for 20 years, beautiful heroines have been beautiful heroines who, you know, are smart and beautiful right. and, you know, birds alight upon their shoulders <laughs> in, like... In, like, Judith McNaught novels, right? Right. Or they're, like, tough as nails, like, um, you know, like Georgina Anderson in Gentle Rogue, who right. we talked about. But what we've got here is, like, a really modern woman mm-hmm. who inherits a football team, has to then play the role of owner of an right. NFL team, which can't be easy, and has to, has to face the world's judgment. A lot of judgment. And these kind of macho guys who are just, I feel, are just always looking at her chest while she's talking. Exactly. And so she's not listening to any. So so instead of fighting it, she plays into it. And it's It's fascinating. Really awesome. And it feels so modern and it feels so fresh and it feels so different than everything that had come before. Mm -hmm. And I feel like what Susan is doing here and what Jane Ann Krentz was doing. Um, in historical, at the same time, Jane Ann Krentz, who writes as as Amanda Quick in historicals, um, suddenly all these these heroines have jobs. Yes, and it's a very nineties thing. Yeah, it's it like, is. 
they're working girl romances, yeah. no matter where you are. So suddenly you've got women in the world reading books, reading the romance novels they've always loved, mm-hmm. and they're reading about women who get up and go to work every day. Yeah. And arguably fight the same fights that real women real, were yes. fighting. You know, yeah. if they're getting coffee for the boss or, like, not right. being... Not being not, not being, being treated the same way or yeah. respected. Underestimated yeah. for wearing, you know, a top that maybe is slightly too revealing. Right. Or a skirt that might be like a oh, quarter no, of an inch short. too short, right? Yeah. Um, and I think what it's amazing that Susan sort of harnesses that and really plays with it mm-hmm. in a really very cool way. It is. It's, it's, it's very interesting. And it is very of that time. Yeah. And... I mean, it's fun. The book is really fun because in many ways there's like these the classic elements where the hero is, he's the quarterback. So he's sort of... He's um, the billionaire. He's the billionaire or I guess in the historical novel he'd be the Duke. The Duke. Yeah. <laughs> he's like the Duke of the football team and he... He's a super alpha, right? He oh my gosh. He struggles with his temper through the whole, whole book. book. In ways that I thought were really interesting. Mm-hmm. Um like, real, not just fake struggles with his temper, like, really struggles right. with his temper. Well, has a pretty, uh, and his own sort of dark backstory. backstory. Yeah. And he's got this crazy relationship with his ex-wife, who who's a congresswoman. Yeah. <laughs> I can't forget that. I keep, for, I had, <laughs> I, no, I had totally I, forgotten that. Yeah, I had forgotten it, too. this conversation, but, but, yeah, she's a congresswoman. They've had, and they have a relationship where, like, their marriage just completely didn't work. They wanted different things out of their marriage, but they, they were have, like, sexually compatible. compatible. So they have this, like, hot sex that they make appointments for. And they're, <laughs> at one point, they're, it's like they're looking in their file of facts, very 90s. They're like, how about Thursday afternoon? I mean, I'm yeah, paraphrasing. Which but, is very cool. Like, suddenly yeah. you've got here, you've got, you've got a book that's very honest about sex, very public about right. sex, like, and also at the same time, tremendously hilarious. Yes. Right? And that's really, you can't talk about Susan without, without talking about, about the humor. It's, the it's Her books truly are funny in this great, totally human way. It's mm-hmm. hard for me to describe. And I'm, so, so funny. And, but at the same time, like so romantic. Yeah. This, she, what she's done. And I think, you know, we talked about this last month with Julia Quinn's, um, with now, of course, mine. Da- it was dancing, dancing at, at midnight, midnight. Um, and how you know what we were seeing in that book was the push pull of like the old school romance and what had come you know in the first twenty years of romance and then what was to be with mm-hmm. the Bridgertons. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that Susan's doing that. That she's doing that too here. here. Yeah, um, and she comes from a place where you know she knew she knew romance. She'd been reading romance from its inception. Oh my gosh! Yes, and. So this book has this kind of really old school. This uh, what is essentially an old school hero, right? Like he's a true alpha. Right. He's, he's got the power tough, job. He's, he's tough. He's, yeah. He kind of holds. He kind of hold, He's got all the marbles. He kind of holds yeah. all the power. But then she flips the script and she brings the heroine in literally as his boss. Right. And he has to because he's the coach of the team and right. a former you know quarterback. quarterback. Um, and he, he's got to deal with that. Yeah. And she's Have got, it. you know, a man on the inside of the team who she trusts, who mm-hmm. he sort of runs counter to as 
right. the general manager, and he have never really seen eye, eye to eye, eye. So they have to figure it out. It's really terrific it's, the way and she it's sets it up as a sexual power play. And it's the woman boss thing, which mm-hmm. was very timely at that time. Like, oh my, all these men suddenly like had to work for women. It's like, and oh my gosh. how would they possibly How would they live? possibly live? <laughs> <laughs> And it's really, really remarkable. I mean, every I love everything about this book. I love. I mean, so what are we? How do we feel about spoiler? Nobody's going to be listening to this. They haven't read the book, right? Like we can spoil. I think we can. Okay, okay so spoiler alert, everybody. We're going to spoil. And then if you're yes. if you don't want to, like so just turn it off now. Come back read later, the book and come book. back later. But, but my, these are classics. I feel like most people yeah. probably have read them. Exactly. And if you haven't, you should. You should. Um, the end of this book. So there's. Like I said, we've talked so much over the course of the last few months about old school romances and what right. what they mean, right? But that's sort of what I my shorthand is this like bonkers plot. Mm-hmm. And Susan, through this book, has threaded in a vengeful father figure right. who is whose son was um, you know good enough to be drafted into the NFL into onto a pro team, mm-hmm. but like once he got onto the field, like many. Sp- you know, pro sports players just couldn't have it. Doesn't, it doesn't, yeah. doesn't and live so to potential. He was cut from the team, and the, his father is very angry about mm-hmm. this um, and clearly unbalanced about it. And so he be, he's sort of a quiet thread of villain mm-hmm. through the whole book. But at the end, during the climactic scene, right. you know, and there's part of the setup is that we know when we come into a romance um, the, and this is what makes good romance, in my opinion, is this sort of strong conflict. So we know at the end of it, in order to have the love be, like, very breathless, the hero <laughs> or the heroine is going to have to give up the only thing that matters right. to them for love, right? right. And so they're going to have to throw the, this. They can't win the, they can't get to the Super Bowl right. and also get love in this case. And the way she sets this up is... You know, he swears he's not going to throw the game, and there's this is their emotional. The mm-hmm. hero and heroine have this emotional pu- push pull, and he swears he won't throw the game. And you know, she basically says, "Well, if you don't throw the game and lose, how will I ever know that you love me and you don't just want the football football game, game. or the football team?" And he's, of course, this damages his. His psyche. (laughs) But it makes perfect sense, right? Like if I if I own an NFL team and you're an NFL player, how do I know you ever really love me? Right? And so this villain comes into play and she gets kidnapped during the pennant and during sorry, I'm a baseball fan, so I said (laughs) pennant, but the championship game. And um, she gets kidnapped, and she's being held at gunpoint, and he gets called down on the field, and it's all very sort of bananas, Susan. It's bananas. (laughs) She knows I feel this way about it. And you're, like, turning pages and eating popcorn. (laughs) What's going to (laughs) happen? How will they ever survive? And and at the end, um, you know, there's this moment where it all seems totally wrapped up, And then the villain turns up with a gun, and he's in the stands, and the hero sees him, and he's holding the championship, like, football, (laughs) the game-winning football, and he's, it's like the greatest old-school romance moment of, I'm, like, literally on the edge of my seat, you guys. It's so glorious. And, but because it's not... It's not medieval England, like, and there's There's no, no, like, spear or whatever. Or, like, swords or whatever. He uses his only available weapon, which is the football. (laughs) And he throws a, like, 
like hundred yards, yard, like the best forward pass ever that has ever been thrown. Right, ever. and he knocks the guy, you know, off his game and saves the day. It's crazy. It's and then just they the get best. covered in Gatorade, and it's just amazing. <laughs> and it's so bananas, and it's glorious. It's great. <laughs> So, so that was the spoiler. I hope you just like. I hope if you have read this book a long, long time ago, and yeah, I hope that we have you have relived that with me because yes, it is it all came back so glorious, and you should all go read it again because that scene just holds up so perfectly. It's like a movie. It's just it's, it was so great, and you can see every piece of it, and they're just so perfect for each other. I love it. I love this book. <laughs> is looking at me like, oh my gosh. I, I like this book too. Oh my gosh. Though there's... <laughs> but the, I mean, she did start humor. She brought humor to romance. She did bring humor to... I think she really brought humor, to, especially to contemporary romance. She really did. Yeah, because prior to this, what? There was Nora Roberts who was right. writing, you know, emotional... Very emotional. Um, not that these aren't emotional, but this is romantic comedy and a... It really is in a different way. And I remember when her, when Susan's first book came out and um, it was such a, it was such an event. Like everybody in the community was talking about it and oh my gosh, she was the Susan Elizabeth Phillips and it was a real thing. Yeah. And she came not, she came not out of category romance. That was like a very big deal too. Well, her earliest contemporaries Almost feel, and I wish I could remember, and maybe we can put it in the show notes or whatever, but mm. there's one that where the her- the hero is basically like a Steve Jobs figure. Right. And it feels almost, it feels like women's fiction, and it's maybe her first or second. It might be. Romance, and it, it makes sense that it would feel that way, because it's sort of, there was no genre, really, for what she was for writing. For what she was writing at the time, no. So this just proves that. You know, anytime anybody says to you, well, you're not writing in a genre, you know, if you if you're good enough, if you're good enough, you make the genre. I see it over and over again as an editor. And I say it all the time. If you are good enough. I mean, I know that's that's sad. It's easy to say. Yeah, you have to be Susan Elizabeth Phillips, unfortunately. But but. (laughs) I I see good writing just rises to the top and it it finds its marketplace and it finds its readers. Um, And I think in this case, like. She found there were so many other writers who were feeling around in the dark trying to figure out like where their voice mm-hmm. was and where that what the romance novel was that they wanted to write. And mm-hmm. she really did launch a subgenre. She did. And the whole sports subgenre at that time. Um, yeah, I mean, was anybody writing I, sports? Not, to, not that I remember. I'm sure so, there may be some fan out there who'll be like, so and so did it in this yeah. year, but I. This to me was really very um, fresh and new. Was was the sports team, and I mean, and it was like the perfect idea. So, like I said, like we said, there are like lots of men, lots of sweaty, handsome yeah, men. Yeah, I mean, it's essentially it's all together. We talked about it's Stephanie like a pi- Lawrence, it's right? Like, like it's the sinsters, it's or the, they're all on a pirate ship somewhere. Yeah, or, it's all those Mallorys, all those Montgomerys, yeah. all those you know the Westmorelands from Judith McNaught, like. Susan looked back at historicals and said, "Like it's almost though it's almost as though she cherry picked all the best parts mm-hmm. of those classic, the Devereux, McNaught, mm-hmm. Garwood, you know, and put them all historicals, move them, and said, how do I, how make do this I make contemporary. this contemporary for my voice? Right, and she did. And then what what will happen in romance in general is 
what, this was in in 10, year, 10 years from It Had to Be You, people like J.R. Ward mm-hmm. and Sher- um, and uh, Sherilyn Kenyon and uh, Carolyn Sparks would do this again, would say, you know, this brotherhood of men. Right. You know, how do we... How do we re- it, in- reinvent it? it forward and change it and... Va- and paranormal. And thus vampires were born. Yeah. <laughs> you know who we ha- didn't talk about in those ni- in the 90s? I, that's when Suzanne Brockman started, too. Right? It is. With the military. Military romances. Yeah. So something was up. Something was definitely up. And, um, oh, gosh. Here, I had a thought. And, of course, I've lost it. I'm sure it was deeply profound. But. I mean, it's interesting because I do think, um, so, so, Sue, there was Susan, there was Jane Ann Krentz, who, that's the name she was using for her, no, she, yes, Jane Ann Krentz was the contemporary. were the contemporaries. And then um, Sandra Brown was writing contemporaries yes. right around this time, mm-hmm. all the New Orleans stuff. All that, all that, yes. Um, but nothing, but those, again, those other, those other two writers who I put in the same school, the same mm-hmm. sort of class, meaning, um, like, graduating class. Yeah, right, right. Um, they weren't writing as funny as Susan. No, I, nobody really was I, I, that I can think of at that time. And what I love, and, and one other thing that I do love about this book is um, it, re- unlike, you know, some of the books we've talked about, not all, but some, this really holds up. And, but in a way that almost makes me a little dismayed because I feel some of these issues, it's been 20 years and women are still facing them, mm-hmm. which is oh, but can you men imagine? Do, like being the female boss or being, you know, a woman in a sports locker room, a woman room. in a sports locker room or, or being like super, like super attractive and people don't take you seriously because you're super pretty. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I just, I, it, it. That almost makes me feel like, oh, gosh, we haven't really gone as far as I wanted to in 20 years. the expectation that, I mean, so the heroine has been raped. um, Right. You know, was raped as a a young woman and um, then spent a fair amount of time, then sort of went to Paris, tried to sort of forget that past, Mm -hmm. um, fell in with a group of artists, and then went became celibate, essentially. Right. And it goes, you know, there's this remarkable scene, you know, late in the book where, and we we've seen the scene written a million times now, where the hero is so taken with the experience that he forgets to use protection. Right. And he says, you know, you know, I'm I'm safe. Right. But I'm worried about you. Right. And. And she's, in her head, she thinks to herself, um, how do I explain, like, how do I say to him that AIDS, she, you know, Susan says mm-hmm. this in the text, AIDS was not a concern when I was, right, you know, active. And I think, one, kudos to Susan yes. for putting, putting it right something out there. in the text that is, was is exceptionally concerning mm-hmm. in the world. Um, but also the sort of slut shaming moment that is in that that yes. Susan calls everyone on, mm-hmm. and we know that right as writers now. Even in 2016, I just wrote I just wrote a heroine, just turned in a book where the heroine has is not a virgin right. at the start of it, and you know I had this moment where I was writing it where I was like, well, 
I don't know. Like, is it? it we still sort of question. Like, can you put a non-virgin in a book and like in a historical? In a historical, a, because you know. it's I, yes, I get the historical context. Yeah, because it was you. Well, you want to make that in 1994. It's still a thing. Hard. Yeah, it was hard. I it think was hard. it's hard for her. An incredibly difficult situation, and Susan does not shy away from saying, yeah. like. This really happens to women. Like, we can't behave this way. Right. It's wrong that we behave this way yeah. with them. Yeah. Um, and then all wrapped up in this, like, glorious bananas, like, super funny, very hot, too. Yes. Book. Very hot book. A really wonderful book. <laughs> and I was so glad I got the chance to reread it. I know. And I feel like, and now, of course, I just immediately, after I finished it, I downloaded a bunch of other Chicago <laughs> stars, but... My very favorite Susan Elizabeth Phillips book is uh, Nobody's Baby But Mine. I like that book, too. also Chicago Stars book. I really like that um, book, too. But I, there are a bunch in the middle that I have not Had read in a while, in a yeah. Time, so that's my plan for the next week. So that's great. Don't tell my editor. <laughs> well, you handed in your Internet. book. <laughs> <laughs> so it's all good. It's on her now for a little I'm bit. I'm doing some research for the next week. Susan Elizabeth Phillips research. So, so. yeah. Well, anything, anything else? Any final thoughts on it had to be you? No, no. I, I mean, just that it's, it's it totally, like you said, it totally holds up. It totally holds up. I was so happy, like I said, and like I just said, I was so happy to reread it. Um, and I think everyone else here should reread it too. So, Sarah, thank you so much for coming in and speaking about this marvelous cl- classic. Sounds like a dowdy word, but it really is a classic. I think in romance. I'm always, this is my favorite day of the month. Oh, I'm so excited. All right. Well, um, until next time, this is Lucia Macro for Avon on the Air. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to Avon on the Air. This episode was edited by Nathan Rossborough with production help from Jennifer Monroe. The books featured in this episode are available for purchase wherever books are sold. We hope you'll join us next time as we hear more from your favorite authors, all brought to you by Avon on the Air.